This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 27th, 2017. In this episode, Apple collects anonymous user data on both macOS and iOS. What does Apple use this data for, and can you stop them from getting it? Plus, Google's search engine collects data too. We'll give you some search engine alternatives that can help keep your searching private. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. So Christmas is over, the new year is around the corner, and it's time to start looking at some of the things that we do all the time and how secure they are. And I wanted to discuss something that Apple has been talking about since their first presentation of iOS 11. It's a new way that they're approaching data collection to be able to get metrics on how people use their Macs and their iPhones without identifying people. Now they call this differential privacy. What does this mean? Right. The concept behind differential privacy is that um, Apple is trying to, as they put it, scramble your data and combine it with the data of millions of other people so that Apple can see general patterns rather than specifics that could be traced back to you. So basically what they're doing is they're analyzing how you're using your device, whether that's um, a Mac or an iOS device. And they're using it to gather some statistics about how their devices are used that um, Apple can potentially use to improve their products. So maybe they know that 50% of people charge their device twice a day and 50% of people don't, or 25% of people use a certain app and 10% of people will spend a certain amount of time on a specific app, things like that? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's that's the kind of thing that Apple can get. And so what, what Apple is saying that they're doing with this concept of differential privacy is that they're not tracking you and your personal use of, you know, of your device. They're just gathering general data and putting into this big pot and kind of mixing it around and, and seeing, you know, uh, getting a kind of a general picture of how users are using their devices. So Apple recently published a document explaining how this works, and it's it's a relatively complex document. It's got math in it. I don't like math. <laughs> but one thing that they say is differential privacy provides a mathematically rigorous definition of privacy and is one of the strongest guarantees of privacy available. And they use the word privacy three times there. They're really tripling down on the fact that this is privacy, that they're obfuscating data. In September, there was an article published on Wired that said that Frank McSherry, who's one of the inventors of differential privacy and a former Microsoft researcher, they had him giving the analogy that Apple has put some kind of handcuffs on and how they interact with your data. But it turns out those handcuffs are made out of tissue paper. Oh, snap. <laughs> So what, what he's claiming and what this article claims is that at least based on research that some folks did with macOS Sierra, that the amount of uh, data loss that Apple permits in their differential privacy and their way that they're analyzing all this data is significantly higher than what is commonly considered reasonable in academic literature is how they put it. So there is some 
perception, at least from some researchers, that Apple is not maybe doing quite as good of a job as one might expect when they hear the words differential privacy. If you're if you're really in that space and, and studying this concept, Apple may not be doing it quite as well as they could be um, at anonymizing all of this data. So that's just a consideration. And we'll put a link to that Wired article in our in our show notes so that you can read up on that if you're interested in learning more about it. But why does it have to be this complicated? Can't the device simply send information without identifying data attached to it? Hmm. Well, it's definitely a complex subject. There's different ways that, that you could look at this, right? Um, there's um, I, Apple's perspective, I, I think, is that they, they just want to see if there are general patterns that they can observe that can improve the user experience, right? I mean, that's kind of Apple's whole thing. And so I think the reason that they're really hitting, you know, don't worry, we're protecting your privacy is because they, they don't want to be perceived as anytime anybody's collecting data, right? About you, about your usage of something, um, that kind of makes people feel a little bit uneasy. And we're going to talk about that, about search engines in, in just a few minutes. And this is one thing that bothers people about Google collecting so much data and knowing everything about it. Right. And, and so Apple is just kind of, I, I think what they're doing in using privacy, 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 they're trying to say, don't worry. Yes, we're collecting a bunch of data, but we're not using it to personally identify you. So don't worry, it's cool. You know, it's fine for us to be using all this data about how you use your device because we're not tying it to you in particular. Yeah, they give three examples of the type of information they are getting from this. The first one is discovering popular emojis. <laughs> they want to know who uses which emojis, who uses a smiley face, who uses the one with the tears, who uses the Big Mac with the cheese in the wrong place. The second one is identifying high energy and memory usage in Safari. Now, now, that's interesting because they're doing this in order to essentially know how to make Safari work better. In other words, if they're finding websites that are using a lot of energy and, and a lot of processing power, they can most likely tweak the way Safari works to make your battery last longer on your iPhone. And the third that they point out is discovering new words. They say, we want to learn words that are not present in the lexicons included on the device in order to improve autocorrection. Now, if you've ever noticed that you're on an iPhone and you have that little bar that offers corrections and you've typed a word wrong and it's not corrected it, you'll find that if you type the first characters of that word again, it'll offer the wrong version. So I guess what they're trying to do is figure out if these typos are wrong or if they're real words. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and iOS, um, and I guess Mac OS too, will, will, if you're always typing a word a particular way, it picks up on that. It learns that. And, um, it, it, it can be annoying sometimes because sometimes you don't really mean for it to memorize that, that word. It's just something that you, you were using a shorthand once. And now like every time you're typing something like that, it, it'll, auto-correct it for you and say, oh, dang it. 
it's frustrating sometimes, but but it can be it can be useful. So yeah, so so that's another thing that Apple can use that um, idea of differential privacy for. They're not they're not um, looking at you and how what words you are typing, but they're looking at in general a lot of people are typing this word. Maybe this is a word we need to add to the autocorrect dictionary. I actually studied linguistics, and we call this corpus linguistics. When you look at a huge sum of texts and you mine it to try and see how people use a certain term, either in grammar or in, in Lexis or whatever. Just a comment on the way Apple presents this. You know, we, we said earlier that they're doing this not to collect personal data, but to collect data in, in aggregate. And at one point in the document, they say our system is designed to be opt-in and transparent. No data is recorded or transmitted before the user explicitly chooses to report usage information. Now, I'll disagree with that because you'll get an option when you install a new version of macOS or iOS, and there'll be a screen at one point that asks if you want to send analytic data to Apple. The little check mark is checked. You have to uncheck it. To me, opt-in means, okay, here's the option. Check this if you want to do it. And if you're in a hurry and you just have to continue then you will be sending the data even though you might not want to. And, and I think that's just slightly deceptive. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, um, I've also observed the same thing. The box is checked by default and you have to uncheck it. That's opt out. That's not what Apple is saying that it is. Apple's saying opt in, but most people just go with the defaults, right? Most people just kind of click through. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to set up my machine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'm done. Um, most people don't really read all the details and, and, and make a conscious decision. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to opt in to share data with, with Apple. It's just checked. And so most people will just, you know, continue. Yeah. Now, again, if they're not really collecting any personal data, like your IP address, your phone number, your name, and all that. And, and in, the, in the document we link to called Learning with Privacy at Scale, it points out that they anonymize all this data by stripping any identifiable information. So in that case, it's not that big a deal. But I don't know about you. I don't want to send my analytic data. I personally don't. I always opt out of it. And if you're one of those people who has just, uh, or you think that, hey, maybe I just did hit continue. Maybe I don't remember seeing something like that. Apple actually does have a way that you can opt out. And there are articles that we'll link to in the show notes that explain how to opt out in both macOS and iOS. Um, there, there's options available within the operating system in the in the settings that allow you to choose not to share that data even if you've already previously as apple puts it opted in coming up not all search engines are interested in tracking you online or analyzing your search habits we'll have some google search alternatives when the intego mac podcast continues in just about a minute in an upcoming episode we're going to talk about what to do if you think you've been hacked have you ever been hacked? What's your biggest security nightmare? Share your thoughts with us at podcast at intigo.com. And if we mention your email on the show, you might win a prize. If your New Year's resolutions include keeping your computers and network secure from vulnerabilities and attacks, then now's a good time to get started with Intego Security Software. It's also a great time to save some money doing it. Right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. 
Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then, at checkout, use the promo code IntegoPodcast and save 50%. That's IntegoPodcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. It's a great time of year to save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 using the promo code IntegoPodcast at checkout. Intego devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Have you ever counted how many times you search on Google every day? Oh boy. Um, I haven't really thought about it much, but I've probably done on average at least a couple of dozen searches a day. Oh man, you're a search wimp. I probably do a hundred searches a day. You know, in, in my job as a journalist, I may be writing an article about a specific topic and I need to find a lot of articles about that topic, a lot of information, whether it be Wikipedia or vendor information or software information. So on a given day, I can do a couple of hundred if I'm if I'm writing all day. Sure. Yeah. And there, there are definitely times when, when I'll be up near that mark as well. If you're planning a vacation, for example, imagine how many different searches you'll be doing for a specific location and hotels and restaurants and opening hours for museums or events for the kids and all that, you'll be doing an awful lot of searching. Sure. Anytime you're really doing research on any topic, if, if you're just curious about something and Wikipedia doesn't satisfy your, <laughs> your curiosity, then you're probably going to be doing a lot of searching and probably on sites like Google. So Google collects an awful lot of things about you. We'll link in the show notes to an article on the Intego Mac security blog that I wrote about everything Google knows about you and how to search privately. And in that, I link to a page on Google that they call your data. We want you to understand what data we collect and use. Now, if you don't really think about it, you enter a couple search terms into Google, you figure they just know that you're looking for baseball bats or kids toys. But here's a list of what Google knows about you. The things you search for, the websites you visit, because they put a cookie into your browser, which is a little file that identifies you. So every time you visit a website, Google records what website you're visiting. They know what videos you watch. They know what ads you click on or tap. They know your location, most likely. Now, you can refuse to allow your location to be shared. They know your device information. They know whether you're on an iPhone, an Android phone, a Mac, an iPad. They know your IP address. And that IP address they can later use to identify you or people around you. Depending on how your ISP works, you may have a fixed IP address that belongs just to you, or it may be a dynamic address, which is given out to a lot of people in an area or in a state or a country. Now, if you use a Google account, they know an awful lot more. They know the emails that you send and receive. They know your contacts, your calendar events. Google knows that you have an appointment tomorrow at 3 p.m. They know who the appointment is with, and they may even know where it is. They know everything about photos and videos that you upload through Google. Everything you type in Google Docs, they know about it. Now, we use Google Docs a little bit here to organize the podcast, to keep notes and share links and all that. 
I'll put a link in the show notes to something recent. Um, some journalists were locked out of certain Google Docs because they were writing, I think they were writing about human rights violations in a specific country. And somehow Google had parsed the content of these documents and they said it was a violation of terms of service for, for what the people were writing about. This is how much they know about you. And of course, they know your name, your email address. They know your Google password. They know your birthday, your gender, your phone number, your country, your favorite sports team, what you like to eat, where you go to the movie. They know everything about you. Yeah, when you put it like that, gosh, it's starting to sound a little bit creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it can be creepy if you think about it. And, you know, some of this information is, I would say, banal, things you search for. But is it really? If you have a medical condition and you're searching for information about it and someone manages to get that data to an insurance company, at least in the United States, where you have this issue of, of health insurance, this could be problematic. Or maybe you're searching about something because you have a particular lifestyle that may not be mainstream and somehow your employer finds out about that. And your employer may have a different point of view on such things. Right. Yeah, th those are absolutely possibilities. And, and um, most of the time, you, you, you can probably maybe trust your search engine and, and trust that that information is never going to leak to irresponsible parties. But um, it is something to, to think about whenever you do a search like that. Unlike Apple's differential privacy, this is all identified, personally identified. It may not be in a file that has your name and email address in it. It might have, have some sort of, you know, long 200 character identifier. But Google uses this for one reason and one reason only. So they can serve you ads that they know if you're looking for baseball bats, that when you start visiting websites that have Google ads, you're going to see ads for baseball bats. Yeah. The way that Google makes most of its money really is through advertising. It's through Google's ad platform. And, um, you know, it's nothing is truly free when you when you think about um, services online and things like that. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. You can sign up for a free Gmail account. That's great. And of course, yeah, we want you to stay signed into that all the time because it's really easy. You can just pull up your email at any given time. However, if you stay logged in, now everything you search for on Google is also being tracked and associated with your Google account. There's another Google page that you can go to, and this one's really interesting. It's called My Activity, and you can see all of your Google searches. You can see the different websites you visited through Google. For instance, it, it shows that at 11.22 a.m. today, I searched for what data Google stores about you preparing for this. It shows that at 11.07, I visited an article on Medium, six links that will show you what Google knows about you. That's pretty creepy when you think about it. Here I am looking at Google and it's telling me we know that you've been looking for stuff about what we know about you. Yeah, Google's kind of sneaky. If you ever try to copy a link from a search page and then go and paste it, um, into a text file or something like that, you'll notice that the URL that you see when you hover over that link, assuming you're on a Mac, is different from what you actually get when you copy that link directly from the search results. You, you actually get this long, long address, and that's because every time that you click on a search result in Google, it tracks that. And so they, they wanna see when someone did this search, 
this is the result that they clicked on because that you know presumably helps them to uh, adjust their rankings and it helps them refine the search algorithm yeah but because of that that also means that um that they are tracking what you click on 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 each page and and as you say kirk it's it's logged they they have logs of exactly where you went online yeah so another link you'll see is the activity control link and you can read the article you can see a number of ways that you can turn off what Google stores. You can turn off their storage of web activity, location history, device information, et cetera. And it's, sometimes it's a good idea to turn these things off and not give away so much information. What happens, however, if you search using private browsing? So if you are in Safari, for example, and you click new and then new private window, you get a browser window that says Safari will keep your browsing history private for all tabs in this window. After you close the window, Safari won't remember the pages you visited, your search history, or your autofill information. But that really doesn't apply to Google, does it? Google still knows who you are and where you're coming from. Well, that's a really good question. And I, I actually do use private browsing all the time. Almost every time that I'm doing a search, whatever browser that I, I happen to be using. And I, I do use a variety of browsers. So sometimes I'm using Chrome or sometimes Firefox, sometimes even Safari. I will almost always, when I'm just doing a search and researching a topic, I use a private browsing window. Now, one thing that's important to know about this is that if you leave, that, uh, leave any private browsing window open in, in that particular browser, until you close all the tabs that that are in pr that private browsing mode, all of the the uh, things that you're searching for, for example, um, are all able to be tracked. There, so so there's things um, called cookies, for example, and we're not talking about the the delicious treat. No, a cookie is all it really is is just um, a text file that your browser stores to remember some information about sites that you visited. Or for, it does that on behalf of the websites that you're visiting. So those cookies will still identify that all of those searches that you've made in that private browsing session are related. So even if you close one tab in a private browsing window, if you've still got another one open, that whole session still remains active. So that's something to be aware of too with private browsing. So if you don't like the fact that Google is creepy, remember when they had that slogan, don't be evil? <laughs> they don't say that anymore. They don't. Now they say we mint money or something like that. <laughs> you, you have options for other search engines. You can use Bing, which is Microsoft's search engine. But there are two particular search engines that I point out in, in my article here. One is called DuckDuckGo and the other is called StartPage. Have you used either of these? Um, I haven't used StartPage. StartPage is kind of an interesting idea because they're actually using Google's search behind the scenes, but but they're trying to do it in in such a way that Google can't track you, which is which is kind of a novel concept, I think. Right. So they give you the power of the Google search, but anonymously. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting concept, and I'm. I'm I'm curious about how they do that. I need to look into that a little bit more. So I haven't really used StartPage all that much, but I've been using DuckDuckGo for, for years. 
One of the things that's really important about a search engine, of course, is that they actually give you the information that you're trying to find when you do a search. And so one of the problems that I've had with alternative search engines in the past when I've tried to, you know, out of curiosity, explore other search engines is I always look to see, okay, is it giving me the kind of results that I'm actually looking for? Google seems to be really good at that. And so I, I kind of have a high standard. If I'm going to be switching to a different search engine, I want to make sure that it has good results. And DuckDuckGo for me has had really good results. They're very similar to the results that I get from Google, but I feel a little bit better knowing that DuckDuckGo is, is doing things to try to protect my privacy, probably a little bit better than Google does. Right. So they claim we don't store your private information. We don't follow you around with ads. We don't track you ever. We, we were mentioning cookies and there are different types of cookies. Some of them are just for a website that records your username and the fact that you've had a session at a certain time. But some of them are called trackers, which are cookies that different websites will be able to access to know that you've been on website A, B and C and they'll follow you around. And, and Google's very good at this. So... Yeah, DuckDuckGo, I've I've tried it and the search results are relatively good. I've I've never been happy with Microsoft's Bing, for example. One of the problems with these search engines is you might be a little bit confused because they actually do serve ads and DuckDuckGo serves ads from Yahoo. DuckDuckGo also shows Amazon affiliate links. So if you buy anything on Amazon using their link, they'll make four or six percent or whatever it is. You don't pay any extra which is always the case with Amazon affiliate links, but that can help them pay for the service. And, and in a way, instead of you're paying for Google service with your personal data, which is exploited to serve you ads, with DuckDuckGo, you're paying for your searches with the occasional Amazon purchase that you buy. Yeah, I, th I, th I think this is really interesting because, I mean, obviously all these companies have to have a business model, right? There's, there's got to be some way for them to make money or else they can't afford to run the service. These services are not, you know, free to run. Uh, so it makes sense that they have to have some way to make money so they can continue their service. And so, of course, you have to expect that there are probably going to be advertisements and, and, and I like the way that DuckDuckGo does this a little bit better than the way Google does. Although, yes, you will have some affiliate links. And I think also eBay may, may be another um, uh, affiliate account that, that DuckDuckGo has in addition to, to Amazon. But it, what I like more about DuckDuckGo is that they have that privacy focus where they're not tracking everything that you've ever searched for and collecting this this uh, massive portfolio about you and all the things that you're interested in. I, I, I like that a lot. And I think that's a um, something to consider when you're deciding where to search for something. So you can change your search engine in Safari on the Mac. They give you four options. They give you Google, Yahoo, Bing, and DuckDuckGo. You can also change your search engine to any of those on iOS. Start page is a little bit different since Apple hasn't really embraced them. What they offer is an extension to Safari or a mobile app. Now, of course, this gets a little problematic when you're using your iPhone or iPad because you can't choose your default web browser. It's Safari or nothing else. So if you tap a link in an email, for example, it's going to open in Safari, even if you're using a different app. 
it makes it a little bit more complicated. The Safari extension for the Mac for Start Page is really practical. It turns your address bar into a search directly for Start Page. So if you're worried about what Google knows about you, and really, I recommend that you follow the links in the article in the show notes to see these different pages where Google shows all the data they know about you, and it's going to scare you. If you're really worried about that, choose a different search engine, DuckDuckGo or Start Page. Yeah, those are both good options, and they're definitely worth checking out. Try them out, see whether they work for you, and uh, and also don't forget about the private browsing tricks that we've talked about as well. With that in mind, you know what to do if you want to break free of the Google monopoly. Stay secure, Josh. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intego.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.